Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and media and disruption in education, uh, and amongst other things. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Hey, Joe. What's happening? Uh, beginning of the summer. Beginning of the summer, end of the semester. End of the semester. Uh, summer activities here on the campus. Yep. Uh, we got a lot of interesting stuff happening in the industry. Hoops, lots of hoop stuff. Lots We're of hoop entering stuff. NBA draft. That's right. For which people will, who are listening. This will be out just before the draft, which is what the twenty seventh of June. Well, no, actually, it's this week, so it'll be out after ah. the draft. But that's ah. okay. It's, okay. So, but all right. So maybe we'll get a prediction from our guest. Yes, we're right. Knows a few things about basketball. I don't know. We can talk a little bit about Atlantic Ten <laughs> basketball, maybe too, or, or Steph Curry, or other things that went on in the NBA Finals. We're kind of looking forward to this conversation to get a uh, little bit of a wrap-up on the semester. And since we'll be speaking to a student, a wrap-up to the manage, sports management experience here at Columbia. So uh, that'll and be it, fun. Not just a student of life, but an actual student in our program. And we've had, from time to time, various students on with unique backgrounds, different backgrounds. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about the intercollegiate athletic side, which is something we don't really talk about a lot in our program. No. And it's funny, in New York having grown up in the world yep. of mostly pro sports that we've been around, and even uh, just the, the companies here in Manhattan and in the tri-state area, it's, um, there's just not a lot of talk about collegiate sports, which is kind of funny since it's such an important part of the business. Yep, for sure. And, and, and it is a part of the program, obviously, in terms of the curriculum yep, and for some sure. of the faculty. So, um, and we've had Peter Pilling on and some of the Columbia coaches right, Joe, over the time, right. and Joe Quinlan. Right. Um, some other people who, who've benefited from the collegiate side. And like we said, some of our alumni, current students, Marcus Kuhn, Andrew Hawkins, um, Jesse Lichtenberg from time to time. But so as Tom mentioned, we're gonna to talk to someone now who is currently going through the last stages of the program. Uh, went to Davidson College, has been involved in hoops especially, has a real big interest in, in the intercollegiate, exi- uh, intercollegiate side. We both screwed that up. So, Kiki Griffin, welcome to the Cusp Show. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Hi, Appreciate Kiki. being here. Yeah, good to have you. So, Kiki, tell us a little bit about your background, um, how you got here, um, your interest in the program, um, your inter- your undergraduate experience, your, your going up, uh, especially around basketball. How, how did you kind of get to this point in your, in your program? I mean, I definitely think it, it starts with my dad. Um, growing up with sports, I feel like that's everybody's story, right? There's a parent who influenced you to get involved in any kind of sports that there is. So in high school especially, um, I played basketball, but I was also a rugby player. And you went to high school where? I went to high school here in New York City, right in my hometown. Um, I'm actually from East Harlem. Went to school pretty much down the street, Columbia Secondary School, right there on 123rd Street. Um, and for our school, CSS, you know, rugby was such a big sport um, coming up. Sevens um, or fifteens? Sevens. Yep. Um, and for the public school athletic league, for the PSAL, for those of you not from New York City, um, rugby has become a growing sport in sort of uh, youth population. It's actually rugby and cricket are the two fastest yeah, growing sure schools in the high school. Yeah, there, there, are more high, there are more high school cricket teams in New York City than there are baseball teams mm-hmm. now. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. an amazing statistic. Yeah. I just made it up. It's true. It's true. It's an amazing statistic. It is true. Yeah. So rugby has been the center of, of everything um, that I was doing in high school, aside from basketball. But, you know, going into college, I knew I wasn't going to be a student athlete. Um, just coming from the background, the school was very new. So there was no one recruiting me. You know, people weren't necessarily looking at me. So I was just trying to figure out ways how could I still be involved and still have an interest 
um, in sports. And it just so happened, literally, the first day of orientation, made friends, you know, that always happens. You find your group on the first day, first and second day. And my good friend, who's now my, my best friend now, just was like, let's go into the basketball office and see if I can get you a job. And went into the basketball office at Davidson and met all the coaches and they just needed help. You know, it was that time period where the managers, you know, who were going to be seniors during that year, they were on their way out. So it just happened to be perfect timing. And, and that's Bob McKillop was the head coach. He's still the head coach. Well, he's still the head coach of men's basketball, right. but I was with we women's, women's basketball. basketball at Davidson. And yeah. at the time, the coach was uh, Michelle Savage. Mm-hmm. Um, and currently, the coach is Gail uh, Coach Folks. Um, so, you know, just going into the office, literally just making a connection there. And I was manager for four years and did wow. administrative things. Wow. Yeah, so that's, so that's pretty much how I got involved. So Kiki and I have the background of being manager, college basketball mm-hmm. managers. Why don't you talk a little bit about what the, what, what the hell does a manager do? And, and I, I can probably supplement it, but there's a lot more things than just kind of mm-hmm. washing clothes and making sure that all the Gatorade is there. Well, I, I think I had a pretty unique managerial experience. Um, I wasn't actually the one necessarily washing the clothes or mm. lugging all the bags. I mean, I was doing that at certain points, but I think it's a very distinct environment where you're working with female student athletes because for me, I'm just like, like they know how to do things on their own. Nobody's really asking for me to do as much as, you know, I feel like male student athletes would be asking for. But that was also just the environment being at Davidson College where student athletes just didn't ask for so much. So my point in terms of who I was reporting to and who I was helping was pretty much the coaching staff um, and just making sure that the student athletes knew where they were going, making sure that they had, you know, shoes, making sure that they had shoelaces in their shoes you know, things of that nature. Um, but also I got to a point, you know, getting older um, in the years at Davidson where I would take care of some, some administrative things and making sure that recruiting information was correct and implemented into our data system and just making sure that, you know, camps were set up correctly, things of that nature. So I got more responsibility as, you know, I got older and went from freshman year all the way to senior year. and. It was certainly a, a very supportive staff, um, especially in transitioning from the older coaching staff to the newer one now. Um, but it was, it was a good, great experience and certainly has helped me to be where I am now. One of the things I think that's always interesting when you talk to people who are managers is time management. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about what it was like and how you learned how to manage the academic side. Mm-hmm. You were never on a scholarship, correct? Did you get a scholarship? Uh, Davidson Trust has helped right. me a lot. Okay. Um, but. Certainly, yeah. But you still had to kind of figure out how to balance the academic side with all those other things that go on for late nights, before practices, after practices, Mm -hmm. on the road. Um, How important was time management and what were some of the things that you learned? Yeah, I always tell people um, I was pretty much a student athlete myself. I just wasn't doing the, you know, physical, exhaustive work um, out there on the court. But for me, the time management, you know, I'm still learning how to time manage, but it definitely got better um, along the years. And that was just, you know, when you have a passion for something, you find a way to make it work. Um, so most of my time at Davidson was spent with the women's basketball team um, and just making sure that, you know, classes were taken care of. Classes at Davidson always end at 4.30. Practice is 4.30, 4.45. Um, it's just, you know, never, nothing ever ran in the morning. So there was always a set schedule for what we had to do. And I had pretty much followed that schedule. Um, but when you know coaches needed me, whenever student athletes needed me, and they were my friends as well, so I was always willing to help out. But the time management part, like like I said, I'm I'm still learning to do that, but it was definitely helpful. What were you studying? 
I was studying Africana studies uh, with a communication studies minor, so all things that have to do with the black diaspora and learning about immigration, wow. all those things, um, learning about you know activist movements, social movements, things of that nature. That's not very topical about. today at all. Yeah. Not, not very so, top, but yeah. still very relevant yeah. to yeah. sports management, of which course, is why I'm no. here now. So. Yeah, so what was that spark that led you back to Morningside Heights? <laughs> You know, it was really the, the timing of Columbia's acceptance. I'll, I'll be honest about that. I think when I got the acceptance, which to a certain extent was a little surprise to did me. Did you know you want to go to grad school? I did. I okay. knew right off the bat. I was like, you know, it's going to be better for you as, as Kiki to get right back into school. Um, so just getting that acceptance letter was just like, Here, here's what we're going to do. And you're going you're gonna to go for it. So the schooling part, the transition was pretty good. Um, Davis is a very rigorous institution, so it definitely helped prepare me. And same thing with high school, just helped me prepare um, as I got further along. So we, we want to talk a little bit about kind of your vision for intercollegiate athletics and what mm. you'd like to do. How did that come about? Was it something when you were an undergraduate that you saw that you were really interested in? And then how does that kind of play into like I said, kind of a unique experience in our program, which is not really geared towards intercollegiate athletics, but it's certainly a part of it. For sure, I think the, the more you spend time with student athletes, the, the more you see the investment that their surrounding environment is putting in them and to make these programs run. Um, whether it's the whole athletic department or individual teams, and for me, just you know, being able to see that and have mentors who are also involved in intercollegiate athletics was a big part of that. Um, and now, you know, the goal is to become an athletic director. I would say of a Power Five institution, but honestly, I'm not being very picky at this point. I think there's there needs to be support and help and anywhere um, that I find where it's needed. So. And what is the typical path, Joe? You know, I'm sure you know the answer question, to this, right? but. Um, I don't know if there is a typical path, because if you think about the other leadership positions in this business, non-collegiate uh, athletics, um, as we well know from doing the podcast and, and having met all these folks, most there, there aren't any standard paths for most people. They're, they're kind of random, but is there something that's a little bit more laid out for athletic directors? Well, the ones who I know, um, and especially a lot of the women who I know are athletic directors, um, at different divisions, different conferences. Um, I think a lot of them have law degrees, uh, mm. which is something yeah. that a lot of people have been talking to me yeah. about. Mentors or people that I just meet at different conferences. Um, the law degree is something that sticks out. And I'm just like, oh, do I really want to do more school? Um, mm. But for them, it was about being able to negotiate, um, you know, different deals, TV deals for their conferences, divisions, et cetera. Um, so just having that background is something that sticks out to me that people have been having conversations with me about, but still not sure if I'm gonna go that route. Mm -hmm. But that, like Tom said, it's not really a very typical path that people take. And, and um, talk a little bit about your intercollegiate experience here. Um, you've been able to be around the women's basketball program and around the athletic department. What have you learned? What was that like? so far? If there's one thing I can say about intercollegiate athletics in general and now being at Columbia with Columbia women's basketball is relationships, 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 time, infinity. Um, and that was how I was able to work with Columbia women's basketball here. And my time here has been amazing. Um, it's definitely been a level up from being manager and working sort of in the office at Davidson. 
and you know have a little bit more autonomy now working under Megan Rojas who um, went through this program as well she, and it's been a podcast and guest. yeah <laughs> exactly so she's the director of basketball operations now and she's technically my boss so whatever you know Megan needs me to do um, then I'm there for that and the time time constraints the you know time consumption is always going to be there in intercollegiate athletics so, so that's something that I'm always going to keep in mind but it's been a great experience so far and we're just you know getting ready for each summer, each season, and just what's what's ahead. So, what just touch on a little bit? What are your duties? Do you have a specific role? Do, you, do they give you a title with a business card right now? Or I mean, well, the technical role is really just graduate assistant. It's always going to be, you know, you're helping with the bank, the end of the year banquets. You're helping with, you know, day to day practices, making sure that we have practice guys, things of that nature, um, and just making sure that operations are done correctly. But for the most part, Megan takes care of the big things like the budgeting and the thousands of dollars that you know you have to allocate towards the team and different things, um, but I'm just here to be her support system, and along the way, that's that's what it has become. And what what's the different? Are there big differences you saw from an Atlantic Ten program at Davidson to an Ivy League program at Columbia? It's the timing. Like I said, the the at Davidson classes always ended at 4:30, um, and you didn't go beyond that. Um, so our practices were always after that. Here, practice is in the morning. Mm -hmm. So of course I'm here, you know, during that time and even before that to prepare. Um, so the really the transition is about the timing um, and in terms of like when we have our student athletes and when we don't have our student athletes. Um, but there are certainly differences between A10 and Ivy League and I mean both I think, especially being at Davis and, and Columbia now, both are very rigorous institutions. Um, and they both value academics and also athletics. Um, so you're just trying to be at the top of that. So let's talk about some of the big issues mm -hmm. in intercollegiate sports. Because seriously, it's a, it's a huge topic and there's yeah. a lot of controversy. So let's get into that a, and, a little bit. And sitting here, mm -hmm. in all honesty, talking to an African-American woman mm -hmm. who wants to be involved as an athlete. Right, and will be part of the then, solution, as yeah. they say, and, and then, is not part of the problem, apparently. So, mm -hmm. But and, there are problems. So yeah. let, let's get into that. And Yeah, and have you... Uh, uh, who are some of the, the mentee or mentors that you've had? I mean, have you reached out? How many, do you know how many, there can't be many, unfortunately. There are not many. Right. Um, there's currently only one in the Power Five, and that's Carla Williams at University of Virginia. Um, and she's someone who I've reached out to, and you know, for her busy schedule, she, I mean, she's very busy, but she was able to respond to me wow. and give me some feedback. That's great. Um, but from Davidson, um, you have uh, Miss Suzette McQueen, who used to be in charge of athletic fundraising at Davidson, and now has moved on to the CIAA, um, and she's one of the commissioners there. So she's definitely been, you know, my sort of point of contact and my mentor, somebody that I look up to. And she's always sending me opportunities, always telling me, you know, who I should be looking out for, what I should be looking out for, and how to essentially navigate this business. And she's been in this business for a very long time, um, even before Davidson, of course. And like I said, everyone has their different paths, but when you have those relationships and those mentors that can help you along the way, that's what's going to get you so, where you need to go. So, Kiki, you've had insights into this as an employee, right. um, mm -hmm. student uh, and a graduate student uh, worker, and you've studied it academically right. in this program. What are the, it's a big topic with lots of issues. I, I want to get to the subject of athlete compensation, mm -hmm. which is just an interesting topic to discuss. But before we do that, what are uh, big picture in big picture, mm -hmm. what are some of the things you think need to change or improve? In terms of athlete compensation uh, about or the just whole in the whole world of intercollegiate athletics. 
And again, I don't want to do a broad indictment, no, but yeah. it's not exactly without controversy, without issue uh, in, in, in the way it's discussed from a business standpoint and ethics standpoint in mm -hmm. this country right now. So, so what needs to change in your, from your perspective? We, I think we just have to have a larger understanding of what, especially the function of the NCAA is. And for some people, it's you know, student athletes and what their experience should be. And some, for some people, it's literally the business, where the money comes from, how are we you know, flowing this money out, um, and where, you know, where it goes. And so I think for me, if we're going to prioritize you know, the student athlete experience, then the student athlete has to come first. Um, and a lot of that now has been about the athlete compensation issues. We're talking about injury issues and concussions. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are definitely a lot, of, and it's not even just football, you know, we're talking of about course, concussions yeah. as well. Um, but just in terms of what, you know, we need to prioritize, it has to be the student athlete experience. And like I said, the center of that are student athletes and getting their feedback. Right. Their so theoretically, feedback. that sounds great. Right. But I know from uh, Joe, I think yeah. you and I talked about the real sports report mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. the reality of college athletes who get injured mm -hmm. yeah. and how they lose scholarships. They're often leaving universities. They're stuck with bad physical problems with no right. insurance, et cetera. So I guess what I'm going at without, without being too... Um, uh, controversial is everybody seems to know about these issues and, mm -hmm. and want to try to improve them but what is, is it going to just be leadership changes at the NCAA as I believe it's going to be leadership changes and okay. I think especially with a generation like myself coming along where we're getting to have these conversations and be more transparent about what's going on um, I think our generation is just more honest about what is going on and trying to face the facts. Well, it can't be hidden like it, it used to be. It can't be hidden like it used to be because now we have social media, we have right. all, you know, all the things that you know, sort of account for what... And they have to have a voice. Exactly. Which they didn't in the right. old days. And that's something that as a leader, ago. I want to advocate for. I want student athletes to have a voice and you know, as somebody who advocates for diversity, inclusion, social justice, advocacy, etc. Um, I think it's very important that the student athletes have a voice and that we consider what they're what they're talking about. And, and you are certainly, I mean, I'm not going to say a boat rocker, but you, you are a non-conventional choice as someone who would move up. And it's really ironic because Kevin Warren, who I know a little bit, just went from being president of the Minnesota Vikings to the commissioner of the yeah. Big Ten. And I was shocked at the pushback from people saying he has no experience in collegiate athletics. Now, here is a... 56-year-old prominent African-American man who you think would be trumpeted coming from the NFL right. into this position. And there were a lot of the old school people that looked at it and said, where is this guy coming from and why do we need him versus someone who knows who we are? Mm -hmm. And I think the we is part of it. The we has to change because the we is all of us. It's right. not... Right. I mean, it, it, it almost it. parallels the U.S. Congress where there's just, oh, whatever side of the aisle you're on, there's just a lot of institutional rot. For sure. And that the energy... Uh, and the ambition and, and the, the broader thinking was coming from the younger members who are, who are you know, kind of pushing the agenda. For sure, I think. And it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what I aim to do. You know, I think when we are uncomfortable about certain conversations, um, particularly when it pertains to student athletes, that's when we get our best work done. Um, and so, like, you know, Joe knows, like, in his class, I'm the one that's going to speak up about diversity Never. and inclusion. Silence. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> you know, things that pertain to my experience, especially as a black woman, and now black women in sports, 
those experiences are important. And for, for me to be in a classroom where the majority of people are white males or males or white women, I think it's important that that, that the group knows exactly you know, what they're going to be getting into as they bro broaden their horizons and go out into the world. Right. So we, we were lucky enough to have three HBCU scholars mm -hmm. in our program this year. Um, two of which, were, one of which was in our class, yeah. my class. Um, do you guys talk anything about like invoking change and how that works when you're trying to figure out the career paths? Because everyone I think is going to take a very different career path to get to where they're going to go. Um, does it come up in conversation? What are those conversations like? Are they comfortable amongst yourselves? Do you try and raise those issues with other people, hopefully? Those conversations are, are definitely comfortable amongst ourselves. I think when you're around people who are like you, look like you, you get comfortable. Um, but then those conversations also get frustrating. Um, and those conversations can be exhausting. Um, and so it's just like, what are you going to, to do to move the envelope um, and be able to, you know, essentially change the conversation with people who don't look like you or don't have the same experiences. But I think for the most part, I've tried to sort of digest, you know, what the world is going to look like in these next coming years, these next coming generations. Um, and those conversations certainly involve that, especially as it pertains to sports. And, you know, like you said, my classmates, so Breer and Marshall will be working at the NBA this coming um, fall. And, you know, they're going to be able to infiltrate that you know system and that way of that league so that they can bring about their perspective and what they've been able to do. Do you do you think that people give you a voice? Did people give you a voice at Davidson, or did they look at you, see Kiki walking down the hallway and run the other way? Like Davidson is very unique. I don't want to give them too much credit, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's a very definitely a place where you have a voice. Um, now, whether or not people will listen, that yeah. will be up to them, right? But I definitely believe that as you know, communities of, of color get larger, especially at these um, you know, rigorous institutions, there's no choice but to listen to these groups of people, right? And when you give these groups of people, people of color, a voice to speak on their own experiences and to relate that to what this world is going to look like, that is when we make the progress. So Davidson was certainly a place that gave me you know, that space to have a voice and to relate sports and also, you know, diversity and inclusion. So it worked out. And how has that been coming to Columbia? Obviously, a pretty liberal campus, I would say, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Um, have you found more inclusion, less inclusion, especially when it, it involves both ac athletics and academics with you being around campus? Well, I think for me, it's a, it's a little intimidating because now I'm in a space, like I said, I studied Africana at Davidson, so most of my major were people of color, and coming to Columbia Sports Management, there are white males in the classroom, and I'm amongst people who I don't necessarily, you know, have conversation with on a daily basis. Um, but it's certainly, I think, my cohort especially, we're a fun cohort, you know, we understand what our goals are, and, you know, we understand how we want to navigate this uh, system of governance in terms of how it relates to intercollegiate athletics, professional sports, what have you. And I think people do invite me, um, especially to come and speak on what's important to me. And also because I make it known, you know, if, I, if there's a question in the classroom, you know, that I want to answer about identity or something like that, I make it known, you know, what I stand for so that people don't misconstrue what I stand for. Right. So let's get back to my question about mm -hmm athlete compensation, collegiate athlete compensation. And Joe, I want to get your opinion on this too, because I know you know a lot about mm -hmm. collegiate sports. 
Um, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I don't think I understand the business issues enough to have a, have a really informed opinion, but you guys know more than I, and uh, what are your opinions about that? Because it just seems like this issue is not gonna die anytime yeah. soon. Yeah, I mean, we, we just recently saw um, they're gonna go back now that the O'Bannon suit has been settled and the money is now going to be exchanged so that there actually is going to be So just that. remind everybody about that. So the O'Bannon suit yeah. was about using the likenesses of, of players, specifically in a video game, mm -hmm. um, and not compensating them. Um, the courts ruled in favor of the O'Bannons, uh, Ed O'Bannon and his lawyer. Um, there was a compensation pool set up and they have now paid out of that compensation pool and now they're actually going to do a video game using the likenesses of players again. They, they, the uh, EA Sports was able to get that. Um, I, I, number one, I am a believer that I think college scholarships do have value and they're certainly, um, in certain places, it's probably not enough. Um, I you think mean just the value of the degree? The value, should the value they, should the degree, they graduate right. even, which is another well, question. That's, but yeah. there should be, there should be I, I think that there's certain things like a legacy for injury. If, if you are injured while you are competing for intercollegiate athletics, you should be compensated, at least from an insurance standpoint, ad infinitum until the, mm -hmm. the, that issue is dealt with. It's not not just that side. I think that scholarships have to be two-way. Uh, you know, people have talked for years about coaches leaving and kids getting stuck in places and, and not being able to transfer. I think that's wrong. I think that you know, if you're going to leave, you should be able to leave like any other student and not be penalized. Um, I think the biggest thing is on athletes' likeness. I think especially now where athletes of any level can go and create their own voice. Mm -hmm. And if they want to go and create something, if, if you are a violinist on campus and you are a scholarship cellist, no one stops you from going to use your likenesses to sell professional music. Mm -hmm. So why is that different for, for intercollegiate athletics? I mean, there were famous, you know, ridiculous lawsuits about or, or eligibility issues of um, there was an athlete, a longtime player at, at Kentucky named Kyle Macy, who was in a charity calendar as a basketball, not with a Kentucky uniform, but he, he was in a charity calendar where the money went to a cause. And he was suspended for a certain amount of games because he was doing that as Kyle Macy basketball player and he was under scholarship. Right. I think that's wrong. I think if, if you were smart enough to develop your brand, you should own that intellectual property away from the court. And right. Um, you should be compensated for that. You should be able to build out your business around who you are. But but clarify for the audience the um, the, the the meaning of the O'Bannon decision vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the arrangements that are now being made between, let's say, Electronic Arts right. as the as the licensee uh, and the NCAA. So, so again, be, let's, let's be years, super clear about like so going yeah. forward. Athletes whose likenesses are represented in the uh, whatever NCAA uh, video game, whether they whether they're at Davidson or or they're at Columbia or they're at uh, Georgia Tech, right. they're going to get some no, sort of direct ha, ha, compensation. Has not been clarified. Yet. Okay. So, but EA, in the details. EA is now has <laughs> the ability to go out and create an NCAA licensed basketball game with an understanding that some of that. Could revenue could go to players after their eligibility is over? Could or needs to? Um, that's the that's the gray okay. area right now. So it's not the, really settled. No, it's not settled yeah. yet. Okay. But, but the fact I, that I they can go forward that. is a positive step. Okay. The issue was if you went to Texas A and M and you were Johnny Manziel, Texas A and M could sell your uniform, your jersey, right. for millions of dollars under their license, and you not get any of that right. money. I think that's wrong. Yeah. 
um, and I think or you'd be in the or you'd be in the NCAA football video game right you, I could choose whatever you, I could choose Johnny right. Manziel and, right. to be my quarterback yep. and, yeah. so so whatever that is off the field I think those licensing rights there has to be some kind of compensation and it's not and, and I think that's a fair way to do it because it's not for every athlete and the NCAA has always said if we compensate men's basketball players in a certain way how do we not compensate girls volleyball players right. and I understand that and I agree with that so it should be everything outside, in my opinion, is it should be everything outside of that unique space of intercollegiate athletics where you can go and develop a brand. So if yeah. someone's going to make money off of your brand, you should right. be able where to Right, where there is exploitation of IP. Yes, that, correct. That, that's associated with a yep. specific person. And I think that's okay. a big, that, that's potentially a big, big pool for athletes in the big five conferences, in the big sports. But it could also be someone who's a swimmer who develops a really cool social media platform and is a YouTube star. Right. And, and can go and make money off of what he or she does. I think that's important. Right. Okay. Kiki, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I certainly have mixed feelings about this. And for me, my priority and my way of thinking is about those student athletes who are not going to get the sort of likeness um, and, comp and sort of value and branding that, you know, a football player at Texas A&M will get, you know. So just thinking about the value of what their degree means and then certainly the the uh, the money value of what that degree means versus like the number of ticket sales they might produce or the the you know the revenue they might generate from their you know jerseys what have you so for me I'm thinking about those students who are not going to necessarily get that notoriety um, like other players and you know basketball football are our revenue generating sports so you know where does the balance come like you, you talk about um, that's something that the NCAA is going to have to figure out yeah. and you know whether that comes that conversation comes from NCAA membership institutions or you know branding um, companies and organizations you know, we don't know, but certainly this case is huge, and I think it'll propel us in a way to make some, some better decisions. Yeah, sure. The question of uh, the health insurance, continuing health in mm -hmm. insurance, to me is quite interesting, particularly uh, in the sports of football and hockey because of the repetitive brain injuries right. where, where there's now ample evidence to suggest that it's real and it's pervasive, and no one can really say where it starts or where it worsens, whether that's in high school football or college football mm -hmm. or college hockey, whatever. Mm -hmm. But that seems like a, and I, and I don't mean this, um, uh, I don't mean this negatively on the topic, but like a slippery slope. Because you're talking about thousands of athletes who play football and hockey in college. Yep. A certain percentage will likely develop something because statistically that right. just seems to be the case at this point. You see how hard it has been for the NFL to follow through on this and do right by the players vis-a-vis -vis players associations stuff like that. You've seen it even be harder for the NHL. Mm. Uh, well, so so that again theoretically sounds good. It just seems like based on the way the NCAA is managed, like that's a real pipe dream. Yep. And it, it, the, the precedent, and it's funny, there was a 60 Minutes piece, or a CBS's Sunday morning piece recently about firemen. And the, the way that firemen dealing with all these pervasive smoke issues right. and other things, inhaling carcinogens, there are many um, uh, states and cities that have now set up funds realizing that we've put these guys and these women in, in harm's way, and we need to compensate them as long as they can prove that that cancer-causing incident came from something that happened on the job. Right. And I think that's going to be the issue is, is it going to be a slippery slope? Yes. But I, I think it's something that is going to continue to be looked at. And the NCAA certainly does not have an easy job with this, no. for sure. 
and there, there, are, there are, is always going to be abuse, which is something that is the biggest challenge that the right. NCAA has because you give some coaches an inch and they'll take 10 miles. Right. Um, and we live in a very litigious society. Yeah, so, and so also, you know, there's a lot of money at, uh, at this, um, these very high levels for defense purposes, yep. and they can drag this stuff out in court mm. for years, which has been the case with the with the big sports. Yep. Um, I don't know. It just seems like there are certain um, institutional issues that even with younger leadership, more progressive leadership, which is inevitable, um, it's 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 going to probably take decades to figure this stuff out. It's going to take. More than decades. Yeah. I don't even know how to like explain it. Hopefully, by the time you retire, hopefully by the time I retire, I think letter director of the Big Ten. The one thing that puts us at an advantage is research, um, and I think the more research we have, the more data we have to back up our findings of whether or not uh, you know these concussions and other injuries have are linked to you know certain issues that that players are having now. Um, especially mental health issues, which is you know another controversy, mm -hmm. controversial yeah. topic. Um, it's it's going to be the research that backs that up, yeah. and hopefully science will be able to evolve to a point um, where we can really determine what these linkages are. Yeah, yeah. This is a big question. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, I want to get back to in the short time that we have uh, talking about your career path through Columbia and how that has helped you or hindered you on kind of the path that you want to go forward. So what were what have been some of the things that you think have really enhanced, and you, you actually can go back to Davidson as well, but some of the things that have helped you kind of narrow your focus and prepare you for this path into intercollegiate athletics, which you want to take? Yeah, I mean, before, you know, thinking about intercollegiate athletics, I mean, it was really just the administrative point, so the leadership, the, the programming, things of that nature, but I never really could sit down and think about the business of intercollegiate athletics and how that relates to and connects to the, the management side. So, you know, in applying for a lot of sports management programs, um, I was actually looking at sports administration um, and not necessarily, not saying that these programs don't um, you know, get involved with the business and sort of the math and the numbers behind intercollegiate athletics, but that's something that I saw that Columbia was going to be able to prepare me for. And so when we talk about sports media and what that means for intercollegiate athletics, you know, somebody coming out of Davidson who wasn't, who wasn't involved in those deals, you know, that's something that I never would have considered um, because that's where the money comes from. The money is coming from these TV deals, from the social deals, all these things that are happening now. So just getting to the point where, you know, I'm looking at intercollegiate athletics as a system that is evolving and it's going to continue to involve um, a lot of deals and a lot of money. That's something that I'm going to have to know as an athletic director and be aware of and know how to get that money so that that money can, you know, help enhance the student athlete experience. What kind of... Um Entities, are you looking at? Because you're you'll be finishing the program in a couple months, and you'll hopefully have a, a job in the business so. shortly thereafter. <laughs> um, are you looking specifically at individual colleges or conference groups or the NCAA itself? If you're able to say, no, I can yeah. tell you, I'm, I'm looking in a lot of places. Yeah. One being Davidson, yeah. um, but I think for me, I never wanted to limit myself or intercollegiate athletics. There's my experience, I, I know, have prepared me to be. Um, in a lot of different places, and I mean that in terms of location, 
um, but also just in terms of what that means moving forward, um, whether that is developing programming for the NCAA as uh, a governing structure or developing program for you know the eight the Atlantic 10 conference whatever that means I know I'm prepared for it so you know I'm my eyes are very open right now but I certainly want to be directly involved with student athletes um, especially in career development so uh -huh. we'll, we'll see where that goes so speaking of career when you look at the position of athletic director associate mm -hmm. athletic director someone working at a conference what are some of the skills that you think that you have and some of the skills that you think that someone in that position that you may not yet have need to have to be successful? Well, I think, I would say I'm a very personal per, personable person. I think a lot of people, um, especially athletic directors and associate athletic directors, whoever is at that position, these are people that know how to talk. Just know how to literally <laughs> just have a conversation with people and be able to you know, tell a story about their institution or tell a story about themselves. Um, and I think that's something that I'm very good at, but also just learning how to do along the way. And, you know, when I'm talking to certain people, I'm like, wow, you really know your institution very well. Um, and they're able to literally sell a point, and that's how you get yeah, people invested yeah. financially, socially, you know, whatever it might be, invested in your program. Um, but certainly some things that I'm still working on and learning about is definitely the fundraising. Um, and like that relates back to being that personable person and having that story. So that's certainly something that I'm learning along the way. I mean, not even just learning from people who work, you know, who are part of the NCAA, but even people who are part of the Olympic movement, people who work at IMG, you know, at CSM leagues or wherever, you know, it might be, you know, just having those skills to be able to sit down and, and create a strategic plan to be able to get that investment. Cool. Um, in the last couple minutes, unless Tom, you have another question. Kiki, we ask people two questions, but do you want to have uh -oh. one, get one more in these? Or these are easy questions. No, no, I, I was going to get back to the career thing because you, yeah. you mentioned career development. Go ahead. So yeah. that's a good segue. Yep. So you must have, uh, you, you must be considered a, um, a mentor to some of the student athletes. I hope so. Well, yes, <laughs> uh, it must be true, both uh, from the undergraduate and here. Um, it, when you have students who are only a couple of years younger than you. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> ask you for some advice what do you what do you tell them it's all, you always have to start with how you remember your experience being I think that's what students relate to they understand that you know yes you are two years older than them or you know three years older whatever it might be but I think for them to understand that you were once where they are now is the key to having a connection with these student athletes but to also you know, help them to understand that you are there to support them, um, first and foremost, of course, as a student, but also as an athlete. Um, and just making sure that you are there and are supportive physically, emotionally. I think that's what's m missing from a lot of institutions, that we, d we just forget about the emotional mm -hmm. um, and social connection sometimes. But these student athletes want that. And that's something that you know, I will always be reminded about. And just having that mentor mentorship relationship is what's going to be important. You know, I, and I almost forgot about something before we get to our last question, which is how do you stay up to date? Oh, man. Any good Curry Brothers story while you were at Davidson, or were they both gone by the time you got there? Well, it was, well, as far, they were definitely both gone. Right. Um, but Steph has come back to Davidson, so I was there from 2014 to 2018. Steph, I probably met him at least three times. Mm. Um, I mean, super humble guy. He, I mean, the question that we always ask him is, when are you coming back to get your degree? So I hope that this, you know, unfortunate, you know, loss in, in the finals 
will propel him to come back. He has a semester left. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't, you know what? I didn't know that. He has a semester okay. left. So then we can hang up his jersey and, and go from there. So Cool. And then the last question is, with so many things going on, especially intercollegiate athletics, your career, finishing school, mm-hmm. working in the athletic department, um, how do you stay up to date with everything that, that, that's going on to make sure that you're relevant and constantly in contact with what you need to read or follow? Well, I mean, it's all about what my professors, you know, suggest. So D1 ticker, that is number one right now, especially as an aspiring athletic director. You know, the uh, NACTA conference just happened, so I was getting all that information. So just getting information even when I'm not present Mm -hmm. physically. I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, especially by women um, and who are involved in sports. What are some some of the ones you listen to? One of them being uh, Burn It All Down. Um, One of the the women who um, speaks on that podcast, Dr. Amira Rose, I was actually able to use some of her work and some of my uh, thesis work at Davidson. Um, And she is... uh, pretty much an advocate for diversity, inclusion, equity in sports and how that relates. Um, I also just, honestly, you just have to attend conferences and Mm -hmm. attend meetings so that you can be with people who are in this business. And I think that's been the most helpful to me, just, you know, having those conversations and literally being present. So whatever you can do, be present. Nice. And then um, uh, how do people find you, Kiki? People you're not, you're not a big me, social media person. No, I, I think I am. I, okay. I argue that I am a big social media person, but I'm particularly on Twitter. I <laughs> okay. think Twitter, you can find me at Kiambra G. That's my full name, uh, K-I-A-M-B-R-A-G um, on Twitter. So that's where all of my branding so do you approve athletics. of her tweeting as huh. a former? Like when we started the class, you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't want to get you know, that active. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, so little, she was dragged in. But yeah. Twitter is my my main handle. That's where I nice. go. My go to. Cool. Cool. Right. cool. Great, uh, Kiki Griffin. Once again, it was great to have you on. Um, you know, it, it's a definitely Thomas side when we talk about people who are longtime industry veterans to have somebody who's new and young and. Mm-hmm looking at this for the first time, especially yeah. on the side of intercollegiate athletics, and gives us a different perspective. Yeah, no, and this part of the business, I think we'd all agree, needs some, some new, fresh thinking. Uh, and well, hopefully you'll coming. be part of, that, part of that group that <laughs> takes the mantle. Well, I appreciate you guys for having me. Oh Thank God. you. Pleasure, and uh, good luck finishing things off this summer. Appreciate it. The new okay. generation is coming. All right, cool. Well, hopefully the new generation will leave us behind. But once again, <laughs> uh, this has been the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Gavarito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. We'll see you down the road.